0: What's up, everyone? Welcome to another week of uh, This Week in Games, and what a week we have. Uh, Crypto crashes, layoffs, new game studios, earnings reports, all sorts of exciting stuff. Uh, It's me, your host, uh, Ethan Levy, along with Eric Seifert.
1: Kind of low energy, man. We got to pick the energy levels up here. Welcome (laughs) to Twig number 208. It is me, Eric Seifert, and my co-host... Slash assistant, Ethan (laughs) Levy. How are you? Assistant to the assistant.
0: Uh, I am. Assistant to the regional manager. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, I'm. Yeah, my low energy is uh, fuck this flu season, man. This is like my third different virus in two weeks. I feel awful.
1: (laughs) Oh, man. Sorry to hear it. It's okay. Uh, uh, Eric's Eric's out. What's Eric doing? Eric's in
0: Dubai. Laura, I believe, is on vacation.
1: Okay, that's right. She's in. Uh, so that's right. She took a vacation, um, and that's it. Yeah, because uh, Adam is gone forever, and uh, Miska is gone forever. So yeah,
0: I th- I think in the new year we might introduce a new a new voice to the podcast. I we'll think see. In the we'll app. see.
1: I don't know. No promises. Who knows? Stay tuned. Um, can I plug something real quick? Yeah, go for it. I am hosting a happy hour at slush. So if you're going to slush, I know many of the listeners will be in attendance at slush. I'm hosting a happy hour on November 17th with incremental. So incremental is a, um, a mobile, uh, ads measurement company that I've invested in. Um, and we are co-hosting with incremental, uh, the slush happy hour with mobile dev memo and incremental, the, it's the, whatever, the ticket page, um, the event page is on Eventbrite. So if you go to Eventbrite and just search for Slush Happy Hour with Mobile Dev Memo, or just search for Mobile Dev Memo, I'm sure it'll come up. Um, anyways, November 17th, the first day of Slush. It is at 8 p.m. It starts at 8 p.m. We're going to go to, I think, about midnight and then, uh, and then on to the after parties. But that is November 17th, next Thursday. I will be out from the podcast next week because I'll be in Slush. So the happy hour is November 17th, next Thursday uh, at Bar Loose, downtown Helsinki, starting at 8 p.m.
0: All right. Sounds like a good time. It will be.
1: All right. Let's go
0: into the uh, uh, quick updates. This, this one, I'll start with uh, Holy Layoffs, Batman. I'm just going to read some headlines um, that don't even cover all of the tech companies and game companies that have... Uh, had big, big headline layoffs this week. So we've got Meta cuts 11,000 jobs as it sinks more money into the metaverse. That's the Reuters headline. Twitter says 50% of staff laid off moves to reassure on content moderation, also from Reuters. NBA top shot maker Dapper Lab lays off 22% of workers. That's CNBC. Blockchain game studio Mythic Games cuts 10% staff amid downturn. That one's from Bloomberg. And Embracer Group shutting down Enoma, the studio had acquired just months ago. That was on IGN. Uh, So that, and and that's just a taste. There there are a lot of people uh, being laid off uh, currently. I think we've got a lot of factors, uh, definitely on the social networks and and ad-focused businesses. ATT has been a a big factor impacting revenue. On the uh, crypto front, crypto winner. Uh, on all companies, you know, inflation, fears of recession. Uh, my heart goes out to all those that are affected. Um, I know it's just one open job posting, but I'm I'm looking for a technical director caliber person uh, to join me in, in building a web three game uh, startup. So if that's you, you know, reach out on LinkedIn or on the DOF Slack. I know plenty of people are sharing open jobs on the DOF Slack. So join our Slack group. If you're Someone who is affected. If you're looking for someone new, something new, uh, we've yeah. got a very supportive community of game industry veterans uh, who are always willing to help out, and someone's always hiring.
1: Yeah, and and I mean, it's a great time to be to be hiring. It's it's also it's obviously very unfortunate for the people that whose lives are are being disrupted by a layoff, but um, it's a great time to be hiring. It's a great time to start a company, um, and if you're looking for funding, if you're in the mobile ad tech or mobile content space please hit me up um but you know i think what you tend to see after um you know these corrections is like a wave of new company formation so let's let's hope that that's true this time around and we get a lot of great companies being built as a result of of uh of the of, of downsizing in in like the mega cap tech companies uh, meta just announcing today that they're cutting eleven thousand yeah. jobs i mean that's 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 a lot of people so, so Twitter laid off 50, 50%, but that was really only like 3,700 people. I mean, Meta, that's, you know, Meta's job cut is, is, is almost 3x. So it's, it's a lot of people kind of hitting the market now. and um, And I'm sure a lot of them will go on to start really great companies.
2: This podcast is brought to you by Google for Games. It takes more than a collection of tools to help you bring your gaming vision to life with cross-platform solutions that give you access to billions of potential players around the world google is your partner to create great games connect with players and scale your business visit g.co slash google for games or go to the link in the podcast description below and if you ask me Google for games is the destination to learn more about game solutions and latest research and insights from Google's gaming teams to help you achieve your goals. If you're not driving or working out while listening to this podcast, I really suggest you fire up that browser and check out Google for games. In today's global gaming marketplace, your players want to pay how they want, when they want and where they want. Accepting localized forms of payments and keeping up with what's trending is key to growing your gaming business and to finding new untapped markets. That's where Exola Payments comes in. With just one simple integration, you'll be connected to over 700 localized preferred payment methods on a global scale including bank cards, digital wallets, mobile payments, cash kiosks, gift cards, special offers, and more. Plus, with Exola acting as your merchant of record, they assume the risk of cost of complex VATs, sales taxes, laws, and regulations. Leave every transaction to the experts while you focus on retaining and expanding your audience. You can get started today, just head over to exola.pro/paystation. Or look for the link in the description of this episode. Exola Payments, it's what your gaming business needs to succeed.
0: You know, uh, I read your piece about um, Twitter. Has Twitter's ads business been affected by ATT? Or is it not? Because it doesn't, it sounded to me the complete non expert that Twitter never had the sort of um, uh, tracking and. Um, kind of targeting that tech that they would even be hit by ATT was I understanding your piece correct there
1: No that's absolutely correct so it's ironic because the reason Twitter was unsuccessful prior to ATT kind of like insulated it from ATT right um and and so you know it's its ads business didn't really change as a result of ATT but it, it had a really weak ads business, right? Um, as a result of only being able to attract like kind of brand ad spend that didn't care about targeting and, and, and reaching relevant customers and driving conversions. Now, its ads business has been hurt in the last few days as a result of mm-hmm. you know Elon Musk kind of uh, just creating a bunch of uncertainty around where the platform's going to head. And so these very cautious and conservative brands are pausing spend. But no, ATT didn't really impact uh, Twitter at all.
0: Got it. So that, that layoffs uh, pure, pure Elon. Pure Elon. <laughs> all right. Um, in, in terms of uh, uh, new studios, one of the uh, quick headlines I wanted to highlight was that Nettie's names Capcom veteran Hiroyuki Kobayashi, president of new studio, and the studio is called All Caps GP Track 50. Um, so, you know, not so certain on that game studio name uh name, but just a quick hit. that Net- he's NetEase has tapped the former Resident Evil and Devil May Cry producer to lead its new development studio, which has been tasked with creating original video game and entertainment franchises that'll be capable of finding a global audience. So, you know, I certainly love uh Devil May Cry is one of my favorites and Resident Evil too. NetEase is great at um publishing mobile games. They've got a lot of really impressive games and this sounds pretty similar to um Earlier in the year, they set up a new studio with uh, the creator of Yakuza, which is another series I love. There's there's a theme here that I really love. Uh, Japanese games, um, but I love these series. These are great creators and I'm kind of excited to see what they bring to uh, mobile gaming.
2: Cool.
0: Um, another two, two more, or one more new game studio and then one more new game announcement. So, uh, Nintendo and DNA to establish a joint venture company. This was at a Gematsu Gematsu. Uh DNA, if if you're not familiar, but you probably are if you're listening, they co-developed uh Super Mario Run, Fire Emblem Hero, Heroes, Animal Crossing, Pocket Camp, Mario Kart Tour. I, I believe Dragalia Lost too. Um, and they've started a new joint venture that uh, Nintendo is funding 80% of to make more mobile games. Uh, you know, they've had some successes, some failures. You know, I don't think Dr. Mario did great, but uh, some of the other games, Fire Emblem Heroes, definitely doing great. Dragali lost, seemed to make a lot of money before they shut it down. Um, so they've got enough um, success in mobile that it looks like Nintendo's going to keep pushing into the space and bringing their franchises. Do you think we'll ever get Zelda on mobile? I don't mm. know.
1: I don't know. That's, is that the last big IP that hasn't, I mean, there's, I guess there's uh, no like Donkey Kong. There's no
0: Metroid. Metroid um luigi's mansion (laughs) yeah no kirby but yeah
1: i wish i mean well it it's going it would go back to i would have to make the same comment i I made last week about age of empires coming to mobile like i i would be excited but i'd also be like very nervous that they would just screw it up right like i mean um you know ocarina of time and link to the past are probably two of my favorite games ever and I would just hate to see Zelda be, like, a sprite in, like, an endless runner yeah. or, like, a 4X, you know, strategy game. Like, that would that would not be very... Uh, I, th-
0: I think very it'd fun. have to be a Genshin Impact type uh, and scope of game, which is just a massive undertaking. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think Zelda's destined for mobile. Um, last quick hit from me is that Timmy Studios and Capcom are going to make a new Monster Hunter mobile game. This is from Games Industry. Uh, You know uh, Timmy from uh, Call of Duty Mobile, Contra, Pokemon Unite. uh, They have some of the biggest hits in mobile gaming and thus in the world. Uh, Monster Hunter is a massive global franchise. I think it's got all the pieces as a game uh, to be a live service mobile MMO. So uh, this one I would predict to be a monster hit. This this is going to be a big game when it comes out. Mm. Yeah.
1: Um so we had Playtika earnings uh yesterday morning um so the stock was trading down 11% after the print um the Q4 guidance was uh was light um let me just read from a post on Pocket Gamer uh, the title of which is 54.9% of playdika's revenue now comes from its casual portfolio so I'm, I'm quoting from the pocket gamer post so revenue for the quarter stood at 647.8 million increasing 1.9% from 635.9 million in q3 2021 uh, So it's year over year increase of you know 2% the casual genre proved to be a particularly strong performer with the company's casual portfolio making up a total of 54.9% of the company's total revenue, representing a 14.4% year on year increase. However, the company's social casino portfolio saw a 10.2% decrease in revenue and now comprises 45.1% of the company's total. Right. So we, we talked about this last quarter, and the trend continues. Um, which is that the casual portion of Platica's portfolio is is taking more and more revenue share which is exactly what you'd expect from ATT right so the the so and so is the other portion of Platica's portfolio is like the legacy uh, social casino uh portion um now revenue probably would have been flatter down absent growth in their D2C uh business too is another thing to point out but i think what spooked investors and why the stock was down well first of all i mean Two percent year-over-year increase is, is weak, but um, that shift is actually not very attractive to investors, right? You know, you're shifting from high ARPU, uh, long retention products to low ARPU, shorter retention products. Investors don't like that, right? The thing about the social casino games is, like, um, the successful ones they they just look like almost like annuities or 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 you know fixed income they just sort of print money on a long period of time um social c- casual games uh have like generally have shorter life times just in terms of the, the product um the acquisition economics can can be worse uh even though you know with the social casino you have like the the high cax but you tend to have like very very you know high arpu and and the the um the uh the delta there can be like more attractive and then just the games Will last longer anyway, so the the product thrash and the the investment into sort of building products could be lower. So I think investors don't like this shift, they would prefer to see that, you know, these sort of like uh, the social casino titles, the long retention titles, the high ARPU titles take the, the majority of revenue, but that's just not possible in this environment. And so that's, that's, that's my thesis on uh why investors um reacted like they did now of course they also could just be reacting to lower guidance in q4 but but i think that that's it's it's probably the it's good that they are responding uh to att in this way and shifting resources into casual and and um and investing there but you you'd prefer that they didn't have to do that and it it just kind of shows that the social casino side is is structurally challenged which which was the, you know, was the, the, the highlight of investing in Playteek at, at one point. Um, what, why
0: does social casino require, or why does the lack of targeting hit it so hard? Is this not a problem you could overcome with just better creative and being more inventive and trying to figure out an ad format that, uh, targets these people? Cause when I, I mean, when I see social casino ads, um, when I saw Coinmaster, Coinmaster had some really inventive, eye-catching yeah. ads, and then almost every other casino ad I see is like just doesn't look great. It's just the slots going. It looks very, um, the art's not attractive. It's low rent. Like yeah. couldn't couldn't you could you overcome this with better creative? He naively asks, having never um, done this sort of work before.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, you know, never say never, and maybe you could. So Coinmaster had the Kardashians, uh, if you remember doing commercials for them. Did you see any of those? Not the top, not the tier one Kardashians. They didn't have uh, 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 Kim and um, what's the other one that has the beauty line? They had like the tier two. They had Kris Jenner and Khloe Kardashian uh-huh. and like Scott Disick.
0: <laughs> who's the tier three? I know so little about the Kardashians. Who's who's tier three?
1: No? Oh, I don't even know. Cousin, cousin
0: Greg. Who is the cousin, Greg of the? Oh, there's gotta be.
1: I'm sure there's a ton of like hangers on. Let's see. What are we? Uh,
0: this is the Scott, type of hard hitting analysis yeah. that the listeners are.
1: Well, I just pulled up the Wikipedia, so they've got a, they've got the family tree. Um, I mean, that's I'd say at this point, Caitlin. Caitlin Jenner is probably tier three. Uh, who else do we have? Scott Disick maybe is is tier three. <laughs> um, uh, Kanye, Kanye, to the extent that he's still kind of considered a. Is he part with the card? He's right. probably tier tier three. Rob, okay, Rob Kardashian is tier three. <laughs> he's the son. Okay. Uh, and okay, Kylie is tier one. She's the one that has the uh, beauty line, mm-hmm. right? Um, yeah, that's okay. I'm gonna. I've often been listen, been I told that I'm the
0: Kylie Kardashian of this week in games, but
1: <laughs> no, you haven't.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, no one has ever uttered that phrase out loud before. Made that yes. comparison.
1: Uh, I, let's move on quickly before people just, but, turn out. uh, okay. Uh, okay. So to answer the question, um, so, okay. So I think there's a couple of things and, you know, of course, you know, you can, you probably always iterate on creative and find some interesting concept that works really well, but like at scale, there's a couple of problems. Social casino is a very, um, idiosyncratic category. So first of all, the, the, the players the the sort of the market there, the number of players that are interested in that category is, is quite small. Right, and so they're just generally hard to reach. Mm. Um, and the second thing is um, uh, that the, the 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 kind of conversion if you don't reach them, like on the cohort level, if if you if you are targeting like big groups of people, um, the the conversion rates is like incredibly low, right? And that's that's partially that's just that's just a function of that small that kind of smaller market, right? Um, and so. And also, but also they monetize really well, right? So if you can, you know, and so you'd say, well, then you could afford to acquire like a big broad, you know, cast a big wide net and bring a lot of people in because, well, they they don't monetize that well, but they monetize really well if you can just sort of like shrink that net a little bit and be have it be like a little bit more um, relevant to like that group, right? So, but fundamentally the problem is it's a small group of people, right? And so like I've said this number before and people push back on this, but there's like a 100,000 social casino players that just are out there like payers right and so everyone's sort of chasing them and so well okay there's so then you can imagine that there's kind of like two issues uh with social casino one is you want to have hyper targeted ads to people that have monetized in social casino games before and that required you know the kind of Facebook style of like having the 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 aggregated data on what games you're engaging with and knowing that hey this particular user has engaged in social casino games before, has monetized in social casino games before, and therefore they're a good recipient for a social casino games ad. So that's lost in ATT. The other mm-hmm. piece is like big, big companies, especially with like legacy games, like a, like a Playtika is probably a great example. A lot of their marketing spend was actually being deployed against retargeting, reacquisition, right? And so mm-hmm. that's just a function of, okay, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna target the known players from my portfolio, right? Like the, the IDFAs that I know are good players, right? And, and, and not only that, they don't even necessarily need to be churned. I'm going to target them on ads every single time I do an event on the event cadence, even if they are kind of regularly active in the game, I'm going to hit them because a new event is launching right now. And I know that if I can get them into the app to start playing as soon as the new event launches, that that's good for like X amount of money. And, And there's like, you know, an arbitrage opportunity there. So both of those tactics are not possible anymore. And so that's why ATT has been so disastrous, especially for social casino. Um and that's just there's nothing really you can do, given like the extreme, right? It's so like th- that 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 sort of market size is so extreme and the monetization levels are so extreme. um it's just very difficult to overcome that with like a you know a creative overhaul or playing around with like the interest targeting.
0: Got it. got it. So it's just a it's a function of um, uh, companies fighting over a small amount of the same players and they're basically- right
1: which which can't easily be targeted absent some kind of unique identifier and knowing something about those individuals. Hmm. Got it. Um, Okay. So last update uh, it is, the title is EU launches in-depth probe of Microsoft's proposed Activision Blizzard acquisition. Um, And really I was just pointing out, so like apparently we're going through like a second stage of review in the EU now. So i'm going to quote from this it um the website is vgc video games so i'm quoting so finally at this stage of the investigation the commission meaning the european commission has concerns that the proposed acquisition may reduce competition on the market for pc operating systems right so now they they had talked about how it could reduce compet- compet- uh, competition for within like the game streaming and, and the in the games business But then they go on to say they actually could reduce competition for uh, PC operating systems, right, within the market for PC operating systems. Now, this is Microsoft acquiring Activision, right? So you might say, what are you talking about? Well, I'll keep reading. So in particular, the commission is concerned that Microsoft may reduce the ability of rival providers of PC operating systems to compete with Microsoft's operating system, Windows, by combining Activision Blizzard's games and Microsoft's distribution of games via cloud game streaming to Windows, this would discourage users to buy non-Windows PCs. The preliminary investigation suggests that Microsoft may have the ability, as well as a potential economic incentive, to engage in such conduct vis-a-vis rival pro- providers of PC operating systems. That is weird. I don't think that that's, yeah. that's credible. I don't think it's a credible fear. I, I think it's a, it's a distortion of reality. I don't think Microsoft has any ability to drive PC sales by owning Activision because it can embed its streaming service on windows PCs. The whole point of a streaming service is you can use it anywhere you want. Right. And, uh, and probably you're not going to use it on a PC. No one that plays PC games is going to stream from Xbox live or whatever it's called. They want to play the PC game. So I don't agree with that. I think that's a weird argument to make. What do you think?
0: Yeah, it is. Uh, it, it, it reminds me of, like, whenever – I'm sure you get this more than I do, but when you get a pitch that's pure jargon and no substance, this just feels like it kind of threw all the words together without right. necessarily understanding what they mean.
1: Yeah, or they did, like, a a, a search and replace on the uh, antitrust case from uh, – when was that? Like, 80 or 98 or something, uh, where okay. it, it was uh, – what was that? It was because uh, the, the issue there was that they were bundling. Um, I think there's two kind of big issues, but they were bundling Microsoft uh, Internet Explorer with the PC. And so that was creating uh, unfair uh, an advantage. I can't find a date here. But yeah, anyway, it was in the 90s, I think. Two, no, 2001. Huh, OK. Well, anyway, um, it just this doesn't make sense. It's not credible. Like if someone's buying a PC, they're not buying it. To play to, streaming games, <laughs> Right. or they're not
0: buying it because of the streaming capabilities that also right. exist on their Apple or Android phones. Like right. that's that's the appeal of. I mean, like it, it does create a lot of competition in the game streaming wars, um, which I think is going to become increasingly relevant. But. Um, the, the, the beauty of, or the promise of game streaming is not needing specialized hardware.
1: Exactly. Or being locked into hardware. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't know. I wish, I wish Chris was here to be, uh, to be upset. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Instead,
0: right. he's in Dubai. This episode is brought to you by Data AI. Yes, they were called App Annie back in the day, but let's not talk about that. Let's talk about how Data AI is the first company to combine consumer and market data with the power of artificial intelligence. And Data AI does this to unlock unique consumer and market insight to accelerate competitive advantages across all digital channels worldwide. What we here at Deconstructor Fun really like is Data AI's Game IQ tool. It's this fantastic market and competitive intelligence tool for mobile gaming that allows publishers to really get to the feature level of a game without doing a full-on deconstruction first. Using this tool, your team can quickly tie features to performance KPIs, which will help you make difficult roadmap decisions. It's also a great tool to identify hidden growth opportunities as you can analyze games on a scale. As you well know, there are hundreds of thousands of gaming apps in the App Store and thousands of new mobile games released each month. And while we don't want you to stop reading and listening to Deconstructor Fun, the fact is we can't cover it all. With Data AI, and especially their Game IQ tool, you'll be able to efficiently determine what features provide a lift. Make roadmap decisions based on accurately modeled expected outcomes. Discover how competitors lifted performance through feature releases. Benchmark performance against your competitors. Focus with confidence on the highest potential genre for a new game release. We here at Deconstructor Fun are huge fans of Data AI. So, what are you waiting for? Go to Data AI and try the service for free. All right, so the highlight story this week um, I'm going to do a bunch of crypto news because it's been a very dramatic a couple days or a couple weeks in, in the crypto world. Um, and we'll start with, it's, it's not necessarily gaming, but I think it's related to everybody who's in Web3 gaming like me, which is the uh, FTX agrees to sell itself to rival Binance amid liquidity scare at crypto exchange. So um, uh, FTX and its CEO, Sam Bankman-Fried, is, is one of the biggest names in uh, crypto And there has been just, it's been such a dramatic turn of events these past couple days that it felt like it was appropriate to talk about. So there's three entities you need to know about. Alameda Research, which is the trading firm owned by the Sam Bakeman-Fried, who's the FTX CEO. There's FTX.com, which is the Bahamas-based crypto exchange. It's not accessible in the US. It has a lot um, wider range of tokens you can trade on it. And then FTX-US, uh, US-based crypto exchange with a very limited pool uh, of tokens that you can trade. So um, on November, what happened is, as far as I can tell, and I'm sure uh, some of the people in, in the Slack will correct me or, or uh, add in additional details that I'm missing here. But on November 2nd, Coindesk posted an article about Alameda Research after reviewing private documents um, according to the article, Alameda had a balance sheet of 14.6 billion. and of that 14.6, 3.66 billion of it was in FTT token, which is uh, FTX's token. Uh, and an additional 2.16 billion of FTT token was collateral. So FTT is FTX's token. It grants holders a discount on trading fees on FTx.com. Um, ra- at this time, the price was, and and, and it wasn't the article alone because the price was holding at about $25 a token. On the 6th, rival Binance, the CZ, the CEO of Binance said it would sell all of its FTX token holdings. And there's a whole background piece of information around them being an investor and then one day divesting itself and getting a bunch of this token. So. CZ announced that he would sell all his FTX tokens. Um, this and the Twitter exchange between him, uh, between CZ and the head of Alameda Research, seem to have kind of broken the dam on the FTT price, which has completely collapsed. It's It went from a pretty stable, about $25 a token. It's uh, When I wrote this this morning, it was trading at about $5 a token. <laughs> on the 8th, SBF, Sam Bankman Fried, announced on Twitter that they are selling FTX.com to Binance. They've signed a non binding letter of intent. Uh, FTX.us is still up and running and owned by um, Bankman Fried, as is Alameda Research. But given the collapse of the FTT token price and a very similar halving of the Sol token price, which they were very heavy into, that's the token that runs Solana, which a lot of game developers. uh, uh, are making games on the Solana chain. Um, it's kind of like you know we don't know what Alameda's balance sheet is like now, but it uh, they've definitely taken taken a giant hit between these two token price collapses over the past couple of days. Um, so just really a, a dramatic turn of events where uh, Binance, uh, if this all goes through, will have acquired probably its biggest rival. Um, by going on Twitter and announcing that it was selling token holdings. And I think this is, you know, I'm not really, I, I'm, uh, I'm very much into Web3 and crypto for gaming applications and not these kind of alternative finance applications and this world of uh, people trading tokens that a lot of them have no inherent use or value other than just the belief behind them. And uh, this was this was just super dramatic and interesting, um, but if you know if there's no company, no earnings, no equity, it's just the token is whatever it is, whatever people value it at. Uh, this was a, a pretty brilliant move of saying I'm going to sell all these FTT tokens, and that leading to acquiring um, your biggest rival for probably a fire sale price.
1: Yeah. Oh. Um, so I think one great article that i read about this was um from burn hobart who's kind of like a well-known sub stacker um he's a he's he's a i, I don't follow him on twitter because he's I, I like his writing i like his long form i think his his, his twitter feed is not that he's got to work uh, on
0: his quip game
1: ah, it's just all over the place and it, it gets really personal that's one thing i don't understand Is like what I like about Twitter is I can just, you know, blast out a quick thought and like I'll know that thousands of people will see it, right? Um, but I don't like to blend realities there. Like I like to keep my Twitter feed pretty clean with respect to just like professional interest, right? It's not a place to post pictures of my family or anything like that. It's too toxic for that. I don't want to invite that. I don't want to, I don't want I don't want those two realities for me to. I don't. I don't want the the the, the reality of Twitter to to right. pollute my my uh, my my sort of uh, mental my my cognitive um, recognition of my family and, and my personal life and, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but anyway, so I like. But I like his Substack, and so it's called FTX Rip or FTX R I P. So I would recommend reading that. I what just a couple of comments here. Chris would absolutely be telling you to shut the fuck up if he was here. But I think this is actually a really important story. It's not like some, you know, nonsense crypto news. This is like a massive tectonic shift, I think, in the crypto market. And it's spooking a lot of people, Um, you know. And and the other thing is that, um, you know, uh, FTX was kind of the lender of last resort for a lot of failing crypto projects, right? And now they're gone. Or Alameda, right? I think Alameda,
0: trading but,
1: on well um, maybe but but SPF was wasn't he was leading the charge on a lot of that stuff yeah. right like saving a lot of these crypto projects that were uh, you know on the brink of insolvency or on the brink of you know essentially dying and he would come in and he would lend them money when no one else would and and that role is not going to be played by binance if you you know if you read the the email that he sent to staff today um you know he's basically saying look you know we're ta- you know we're taking a hard look at the this is not a done deal like we have, we're doing due diligence. We're going right. to take a look at their at their balance sheet and see if this is even worth doing. Um, but I don't, you know, Binance does, I don't think CZ has that sort of, that same sensibility of being like um, an evangelist or, uh, you know, a figurehead within the, within the commute within crypto. I think he just wants to make money, right? Um, and, and so uh, they're not going to play that role anymore. And so it's like, well, okay, maybe no one will. Um, and then the other thing is uh, CoinDesk, uh, just wrote today that s- saying something like, "Binance was actually kind of leaning out." Like after, like even just a cursory look at the balance sheet, that it, 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 they, they, they didn't think it was prudent to move forward. Now that could just that could just be like a a, a rumor that was leaked or something. But again, like this hasn't gone through yet, right? Yeah, and it's so a non-binding know, letter of intent, right? So exactly, fair. exactly, on But yeah, so, so my, you know, I, I think this was like a this is a pretty like m- m- you know monumental moment in the history of even the history of crypto. Uh, so it's important. So I'm, I'm glad uh, you know, Chris wasn't here to interrupt you and talk over you and, and right. tell you shut
0: up. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll do, I'll do one more uh, crypto story. And this one I think is much more or is, is pretty targeted um, for uh, game creators, which is uh, the question of, of what's going on with NFT royalties. It's probably something you've seen on LinkedIn or Twitter um, over the past uh, couple weeks. so, um, One of the things that's been really interesting to me, especially when I began my research phase on Web3 and gaming, was that there were frequently disconnects between like the high-flying rhetoric and the reality. And that's uh, we're seeing that disconnect play out right now uh, when it comes to the rhetoric around royalties. Um, because a lot of the promise, a lot of the reason uh, people get into Web3 and uh, why they think it's appealing to creators... Is about the immutable perpetual royalties, and you know I think I've said before like uh, create uh, NFT sale royalties is a big part of uh, where I see the potential for free to play developers like myself to to move into um, Web three. But when we look at the NFTs on the Ethereum network, the most commonly used standard has no royalty. Uh, function written into its smart contract, so people will say things like "there's immutable perpetual royalties." the The royalties are something that the uh, the website enforces, whether it's OpenSea or Magic Eden or or wherever. Um, uh, royalties are something a collection owner sets on on the website uh, or similar, like OpenSea or similar marketplaces when they set up their collection. So it's not written into the smart contract. It's not enforced and perpetual the way people talk about it. So because of the decentralized nature of NFTs, other marketplaces like Blur is probably one you've heard of. um, They uh, made a decision to allow users to uh, trade collections and for the creator royalty to be optional, right? This was a a marketing effort. You could look at it as a way to take our uh, market share from OpenSea and other competitors. Blur and others... Started making this royalty optional on their platform. So it's great for people who are just in for trading. They get to choose to keep more uh, revenue on every sale. And it's horrible for the creators uh, because, um, you know, if they were relying on that royalty stream to be the revenue stream and the reason behind their uh, NFT project and whatever hopeful utility they were making, uh, all of a sudden, they're seeing all sorts of trade volume move to Blur and other marketplaces, and not seeing any revenue from it. Um, I believe, and, and don't don't quote me on this. I, I'll um, I'll have to do some more research later. But I, I believe that other chains, other platforms like Immutable X, um, do have royalties enforced at the code level. It's certainly something that's possible. Uh, with new tools or new standards, but there's you know there's been a race to a bottom here to the bottom here, which is quite dangerous for creators. Royalties are a critical component of the business model I'm working on. Like I said, and I'm glad to be honest that I don't have any collections out there right now. Um, OpenSea said in a blog post that I really like that they're making new tools to enforce royalties on chain for newly created c- collections. And it'll be interesting to see what happens to these, you know, let's call them legacy NFT collections going forward in this war um, over royalties. So, you know, it's been a, a really dramatic couple of weeks in the crypto world, and I don't expect the drama to end anytime soon. But none of this dissuades me um, from uh, uh, my belief in, in Web3 gaming. Um, if you go back and listen to the interview I did with Sebastian Bourget of Sandbox, the reason they moved into web three was that it solved a specific problem for them as game creators that they thought would lead to a better product for their players. And, and I'm in the same boat. Um, I've had a, a, a hand, uh, sometimes a big, a big role, sometimes a really small role, uh, but in the sale of hundreds of millions of dollars of digital goods that players don't own. And I believe all those same Games will be dramatically better for players when they do own their assets, can trade them, can sell them to other people. Um, that's why I'm holding strong on building web through game studio, um, you know, and why this sort of news. I'm sure there. I mean, I'm sure a lot of people are spooked, but this this doesn't uh, this doesn't change my opinion right now. You're you're muted. Sorry.
1: What's the motivation for this? Is it just to retain more money or is there something deeper? Is it is a complexity of computing or something? Or is it like costing them money to process those transactions, the, the royalties?
0: No, it, by saying – blur by saying, hey, traders, you can choose whether you want to pay the creator royalty or not. It attracts people to their marketplace and increases their trading volume because the traders, once the royalty is optional, by saying, no, I'm not paying the royalty, that means they're keeping more of the sale price. So it makes it much more attractive for traders to not have to pay this royalty.
1: Yeah. Okay. I see. Okay. All right. I had a topic I wanted to get into today. I didn't have time to fully um, dig in, but I'll kind of briefly touch upon it. Maybe I'll spend some more time. Well, I won't be here next week and this will be old news by then, but... There's an article floating around that I saw shared a couple times and uh, on LinkedIn. And it was, the title of it is on mobilegamer.biz. Not, not by no means am I, you know, sort of um, denigrating the work that mobilegamer.biz does. I read them all the time. Great, great outlet. Keep up the good work guys and everyone. Um, But there was this article they published called, titled Activision and Take-Two are making more cash from mobile than PC and console combined. And, that's true i mean that's 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 literally true um based on the earnings right but people were sharing that and i think you know mis or misinterpreting that and to th- th- to 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 mean that like there's been some there was like that that the slowdown in mobile is not real or that this quarter sort of disproved that or that you know this quarter sort of uh uh diverged from that trend over the last few quarters and it, and it didn't um and so it's it's true that the headline is true. They are making more than those companies are making more from uh, console and PC combined. But the growth is still massively slowing in mobile for both of those companies. Well, for for Take Two anyway. So with the take with Take Two, I mean, what you saw in their earnings was so. First of all, they they announced like a hundred million dollar. What do they call it? Um, let me see. Uh, annual co- cost synergies uh, with Zynga. So they're going to lay off people. That's what that means, and shut down studios. And they've already sort of started to do that. Um, and, you know, they kept they kept pointing to, like, kind of hyper-casual as a bright spot. Yeah, I don't, I may, you know, maybe that's true. But, uh, I mean, if they said it, it, it must be at least partially true. But but I think, you know, the, the, so the takeaway from that was, like, Zynga's deeply impaired. Um, and then that, that, that you know, yeah, at this point, you could probably judge that acquisition as being... Uh, you know, whatever. At at, the, at the very least, ill-timed, right? Um, and so I, I, I again, I didn't have enough time to to just have a bunch of numbers re- at the ready. Um, but if you read, th- you know, both of those companies' earnings, but particularly Take Two. I mean, Mobile's not a bright spot there. The bright spot, um, for for Take Two this year. Uh, so first of all, uh, on a revenue basis. Give me a second. They, on a revenue basis, they were only up, I think, 6%. Yeah, 6%. So I mean, it's pretty weak. And the bright spot was uh, they had the Grand Theft Auto trilogy, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so, you know, they're uh, the uh, our better-than-expected performance – so they did have better-than-expected per- performance uh, for Q3, but they tempered that for Q4. But our better-than-expected performance was driven primarily by Grand Theft Auto, the trilogy, so I mean, you know, and then NBA Two K twenty two, right? So it, you know, yeah, that's true. That mobile just as a share is bigger, but that that's not what that's not saying is that mobile is on some, you know, uh, impressive growth trajectory, and that the trend has changed. Like, and mobile is still like very challenged. So I just kind of wanted to push back a little bit on that interpretation that I saw, um, and you know, of you know, you've, you're seeing it play out elsewhere too. I mean, with like uh, Playtika, for instance. But anyway, um, I didn't have enough time to fully flesh that out, but there's just a little bit of like a superficial analysis. Yeah. And
0: what, I mean, one other factor there is that console revenue is lumpy, right? Right. Like when Grand Theft Auto 6 comes out, it's going to be a bonanza for Take-Two, but that's like a once-in-a-decade right. event. Yeah.
1: Literally. Once-in-a-decade, right?
0: Uh, yeah. All right. Well everyone hope you've enjoyed uh this is i think is the second ever uh just ethan and eric uh episode uh thanks for listening and uh we'll see you next
1: week thanks for listening hope to see you at the slush happy hour uh next thursday if you're at slush look it up on eventbrite or hit me up on the dof slack or the mobile dev memo slack or on linkedin or whatever happy to host you
0: all right bye y'all bye you did it you made it to the end of the episode As a fan of the show, it would help us out if you subscribe and leave us a review on the podcast service of your choice. More importantly, are you a member of the Deconstructor of Fun Slack group? If you have five years or more of games industry experience, go to deconstructoroffun.com slash slack and apply to join. Join the games industry's best professional community filled with peers always willing to lend a hand. Or subscribe to our newsletter to get all the latest insights from the Deconstructor of Fun content creators. Thanks for listening.